Hello and welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. My name is Robert Jay. I'm here this week with the ever-friendly Sam. Hello. And this week we are joined by Russell Bradley-Cook, who is the App Partner Manager at HubSpot. Welcome, Russell. How are you? Yeah, great to be here with you, Rob and Sam. Um, I, I have to say, I think marketing is probably the hardest job around. I think I think sales is really hard. But uh, to be really good at marketing, you've got to do strategy, you've got to be creative, and you've got to do data. Uh, and so I, I think that you guys are both doing an admirable job. Uh, and with, shout out to Charlotte um, to bring together the sales and marketing tribes. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I'll tell you what, that's going as um, a testimonial after this episode. Thank you, Russell. Yeah. We, needed, we needed that. We needed that. <laughs> yeah. Flattery gets you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, awesome to have you on. I mean, we, we worked together many, many years ago, I think close to 14, 15 years ago. Um, I think we'll touch upon some of that. And data you mentioned, we'll definitely come on to that as well. But I just wanted to start, if you don't mind, giving everyone a bit of an overview about yourself and kind of your journey through sales in particular, more recently, you know, the the focus on SaaS. Definitely. Well, I think maybe just starting quickly from today. Uh, so just as a slight correction on the intro, so I am one of HubSpot's app partner managers. Uh, I'm the first one in EMEA, and um, we have north of a 1,000 uh, tech partner apps. So that's SaaS companies who are building stuff on HubSpot, and we're helping those partners tap into HubSpot's 750,000 modern and engaged and, and global users. And, and um, I think modern is really a key part of it, of like people who are looking to push the boundaries and, and change how their own organizations are doing things, but also how they interact with their customers. Yeah. Uh, and so I can maybe jump into a little bit about my journey, but please do. I, 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 uh, so you mentioned that we work together. Uh, so I started doing research at Institutional Investor. And uh, it is a, I would say, untraditional path into sales to start from research. But the three things that I really took away from it were the ability to be able to write concisely and clearly, the ability to use Excel uh, to be able to do pivot tables and, and formulas, and then also the ability to cold call. And so we were cold calling hedge funds and investment bankers to get their opinions on things. And generally, the opinion was two words and the second one was off. And so yeah. I had to be <laughs> really, really um, uh, concise and clear about the value for them to give me 30 seconds or a minute of their time. And I think that that was a great training for, for sales and, and I think really influenced how I do things today of really being able to add value to the people at the other end of the, the call or the other end of the meeting or the other end of the, the Zoom since we're in uh, 2022. Um, and so really, I, I love sales. Um, I, I moved into it after research and, and uh, we were at a company called Euromoney and I sold. Um, I started kind of in like, I wouldn't say it was pre-digital age, but it was when the print and the events businesses were so big and yeah. driving so much ad revenue that they just dominated everything else. Yeah. And like the, I was there f during the transition to uh, the subscriptions and the database and online model. And so I, I kind of learned from the old school uh, guys and I just sat at their feet, like both on the editorial side and on the, the sales side. And I, it wasn't called enterprise sales at the time, but that was really 
what I learned was how to sell into really big banks and um, deal with multiple stakeholders and, and being able to put together great content, great data, uh, great research, and, and really be thought leaders. Uh, and so I was part of the Euro Money Leadership Development Program. But I mean, to be honest, I think today, when I look back at that time, the thing that I really um, enjoyed the most was the informal data group, which Rob, you joined uh, a few times. And uh, we kind of, I know the theme of this po- uh, this podcast is really like bringing together sales and marketing. And that was kind of what we were trying to do. Yeah. Except I think it was even a broader tent. Like we were also trying to bring in the editorial folks and the devs um, to have like a big discussion about data. So yeah. let, let me park it there. I don't know if you've got any questions. I, I still got some other stuff to talk about. But. Yeah. I, I, so first of all, when you're taking me back there a, a few years, I remember when we joined and you talk about that transformation to digital. Do you, I don't know. You remember we used to, that was at the time where editors would write a load of content, all the articles, and then they would just <laughs> post it to the website just one day, one, one day a week. That was it. And then write everything yeah. again and then post it. Well, I think to help people who are newer to uh, sales or newer to publishing, I think one of the ways that I help frame the discussion is that our digital asset manager, our our publishing, our CMS tool, was designed before the internet was a common way of distributing content. And so everything that we think of as the internet didn't exist when the tool was built. Yeah. And so um, the revenue that was coming, it's also hard to imagine like the revenue and the profitability of those print ads and those events like it it made it extremely difficult to to innovate and to try to do new things that weren't instantly profitable and i I think kind of the analogy outside i would look at like if you're an oil producing country it's really hard to to produce or manufacture other things because your currency is so strong and you make so much money from selling oil that like what else are you going to do like it doesn't really make any sense to do anything else but you end up being stuck as this kind of monolith. And if the oil price drops or like suddenly people are consuming content online as opposed to in print, you're kind of in a bad place. Um, and so I got to kind of see that firsthand. And some people were interested in making that transition. Uh, but unfortunately, I would say the leadership was not always there. And there was a point where I realized that the wall was harder than my head. <laughs> and uh, after 12 years of trying to change it, and it not changing. I was like, okay, yeah. I think I'm going to bow out now. Thank you. I say, getting getting that kind of buy-in can be can be quite challenging. Can be some of the hardest things when you're trying to kind of update or um, innovate or move on. And I, I guess I wanted to ask a question. So obviously, being in HubSpot, you know, big kind of marketing platform, having a sales background and being in sales, what do you think is changing in front of us at the moment in sales? And what's the next steps? And Charlotte always, you know, she does a lot of kind of new innovative techniques as example she's done video pictures she was writing a poem the other day um, in terms of how she's pictured it, was, it wasn't bad actually yeah um and then i mean on top of that the sales tech landscapes in the thousands now you know there's automation what what do you see russell kind of that is changing before our eyes at the moment in sales well shout out first of all shout out to charlotte i'm sorry you're not here please send me a video video i would love to see it <laughs> i will reply and i love your tagline of like was my video that bad as the yeah. follow-up email? It's by far <laughs> the best follow-up email that I yeah. can think of. So I have been in uh, SaaS pretty much since I left Euromoney. And I think that SaaS is really, can be very insular. And when I was at Euromoney, I was selling subscriptions and selling databases. And that is pretty much the same thing as SaaS. Like 
software is a database and you are selling with the subscription model. And yet it was very difficult to persuade SaaS people that the mm. skills um, were relevant. And so I think that my challenge for SaaS is to really, in terms of hiring, to, to think about things outside the box and try and bring in people who haven't necessarily been, uh, ha haven't necessarily come in from like a traditional background. And I think one of the other things, so in the last four years, I've been uh, in Paris and most of that selling SaaS from French companies to American companies. And, and so we signed companies like Google and, and Uber Eats and Pepsi, but it was extremely difficult. And for me, the, I think the challenge is really like, how do you get your first clients? And that could be in your own country or your first clients for that product, or it could be in outside markets. And as you start to expand into the US and then the second one, and I think that this is a lot of, to your question, Sam, about how is SaaS, how is sales changing? Like for me, customer success is also part of sales. Like, and, yeah. and I have almost never seen an org where customer success reports into sales and like retaining those customers and upselling them and engaging them and delivering more value for me, that's essential. Yeah. And so yeah. what I'm trying to do at HubSpot is really like, we have a vision for connected consumers. And the problem is not that there is not enough MarTech out there. And my, my big boss is, is um, Scott Brinker, who's the godfather of MarTech. <laughs> like, but we know there's a lot of MarTech out there. The challenge is to get all the pieces to talk to each other. Yeah. And so our, our partnership team really sits at the core of that strategy. And we just, Inbound is just uh, wrapping up and we published a statement and it was kind of the key uh, speech was best in connection is, is now the best in class. And for me, that that is really true. Like you have to be able to work with other tools. You have to be into, able to integrate with the other tech stack yeah. and that partnerships, it doesn't have to be with HubSpot. I think HubSpot's in a really great position, but you have to be able to work with other tools for your customers. And so how the, never mind how the customer success works, it's like product and partnership and like how all of these units work together in a company, there really needs to be a lot more collaboration. Yeah. And yeah. In many orgs, I don't see that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, in my team, I've got um, the customer success and delivery team, which is included. And one thing we've noticed more and more is the idea of kind of revenue ops rather than splitting it. So that's all the marketing touch points, sales touch points, finance touch points, and customer service touch points or success touch points in one go. Because if you're a client, it's just one experience. So why are they split? It, do it doesn't make sense personally to me. Yes. Um, but I guess off the back of that, we should be collaborating more of the functions and not just sales and marketing. I know we're here to talk about that, but you know, customer success yeah. and all the other functions. On, the, on that though, I, I would say, I would include product in that discussion. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I know that you've got a bunch of the John Barrows folks on the, on the podcast in the past have a huge amount of respect for um, what he has done and what their business has done. The one thing which I would say is that John has, has said many times, like most of the software solutions are about the same. And so it's the buying experience, which is the differentiator. Mm -hmm. And I can see where he's coming from that, but I think that it's also sales's responsibility to engage with the product team to make sure that you get a better product in yeah. three months, in six months. Because if you're selling the same thing in six months, 12 months, and you're in technology, you're going to be out of date. And yeah. so most of the product teams that I see are kind of like hanging out in their own room, doing their own little thing. And I think it's on sales to, to be able to engage with those teams constructively, yeah. uh, to be able to give them feedback from, from the market, from partners. Yeah. Um, and so I think I completely agree. Like it's, it's really it has to be 
a lot of different teams collaborating. Yeah, so we need to change our name to simply sales and marketing and product and editorial and and, 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 and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do, do you know what? I think you made a couple of really good points there. And actually, I think a lot of that comes from, as you said, your background in subscriptions. And I remember, again, when we first joined, it was really a focus on acquisition. You know, you'd spend 70% at least of your time trying to acquire uh, and almost forget but actually a lot of the of what we do and what you do with subscriptions is the renewals and that's you know where you mentioned customer success and actually is sales and speaking to your customers providing feedback for the product to how we got to improve it and make it easier to sell easier to renew and easier to upsell a hundred percent so going back i think it was 2018 brian halligan who's the one of the co-founders of hubspot did a presentation where he introduced the flywheel and for me, that's completely it. Like you have to be able to delight your customers with the experience and a B2B like delight is like, whew, most products are pretty like industrial and generic. Yeah. And so how do you deliver that customer experience that generates word of mouth that allows you then to reduce your cost of acquisition by getting word of mouth customers? Yeah. And um, that stuff is super hard, but like you've got to really be thinking about it from from the top down and senior leadership, but also people on the ground level making those connections across teams. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think if you're talking to your clients, you have to understand what they want, what's good with the product, what's bad with the product and adapt it. Because at the end of the day, every tool is a solution in effect to fix a problem that you have. But also tools are useless on their own unless you have the right buy-in and the right user cases to actually apply that. So it's, um, yeah, definitely need the buy-in as well. Well, I mean, you mentioned usage. It's crazy for me like how bad sales in general are at adopting technology. Uh, when I, I'm super happy to be at HubSpot because I was sitting for many years working in sales and I had like a clunky CRM. I had basically email outlook and LinkedIn and that yeah. was it. Mm. That was like my, the three pillars of my tech <laughs> strategy. And Scott Brinker is like, there is like a thousand a thousand yeah. martech tools and then the next day he's like no sorry check that there's five thousand and he's like check that no there's like we're at like 10, seven thousand and i'm like you marketers i've got all the tools and i have got outlook this is not fair <laughs> at least you've got and, an easier stack to analyze though which is one yeah but but i think that sales to come back to the point is bad at adopting technology and so mm. in a way like the vendors have to think about like Imagine you've got some really reluctant old school salespeople. How do you make this? How do you make them adopt technology? And for me, the starting point is the CRM. Mm. I think that there's some really cool tools like uh, Snowflake, Data Lakes, and and ETLs and, and BI tools. But like, are salespeople going in there? Forget about it. Like, maybe some technical marketing folks will get in, but like, that's about it. And so the CRM is where there's an overlap of the data of the marketing side and of the sales side. And if you want the salespeople to buy into that and to use those tools on a regular basis, the only way that you can do it is if the CRM adds more value to them than they put into it. And that has never been my experience with CRMs until I joined HubSpot. But do you know what? There's part of, it's amazing, but also part of the problem is there's so many and sales obviously want to focus on sales. So is it down to them to be researching, looking what's around? Is it down to marketing products to bring it to them? You know, if you know someone's starting off or is relatively new in sales, what, how do you see them doing that? You mean so many tools? Yeah. So for me, I think 
I don't think of it in terms of tools. I think of it in terms of priorities. If you are a marketer and you're working with salespeople, the number one question that you can help them with is how should you prioritize your day? Yeah. Because unless they have no leads, in which case you're in a bad company and you need to go somewhere else, in general, the sales have got too many things to do and they need to decide like what are the 10 or 20 that I'm going to do today? And if you can do 20 things, like that was a good day. But which ones? And so bringing in data from other activities that the, the buyers are doing. And so some of that could be like on the website, but I, like G2 is a, a great example of like looking at activity that's happening on third party sources and saying like this particular company is in the market for a tool. That kind of prioritization is what salespeople need help with. I think it's absolutely spot on, Russell. And then, okay, so bring it back around, obviously, being a hub spot, being in sales. You're, you're in sales, you work with marketers, you have a lot of hands-on experience with this. Now, one question we always ask is, how, how do you currently see the alignment of sales and marketing? And this could be with one of your kind of many big-name clients, it could be internally. And then the follow-up is, how could we start to improve that? Very quickly. So I actually sit in a partnership team, which is distinct from the two. And the way that I like to explain it to people is that, I'm originally from New York. I was born and raised there. And I grew up on Broadway. And uh, I don't know if either of you have been to, to New York, but yeah. you've got these really big north-south avenues. They're enormous. Like it's designed for like cars and trucks to go fast and to get places. And then you've got these east-west streets. And then every 10 blocks, you've got a bigger street going east-west. And for me, those are the marketing channels. And Broadway is the partnerships. Like it starts on the lower east and it goes, cuts across everything and ends up at the upper west side. And so all of that beautiful efficiency and grid, Broadway's like, ha ha ha, boom, you have to deal with me. And for me, that's, that's partnerships. That like mm. impact of that diagonal avenue is that there's these little triangles that form on the grid. And like you can't really do much with the triangles. And so you end up putting like some trees and a bench and, and maybe if you're lucky, a water fountain. And then people are like, actually, we really like these triangles. Like this, like this is a nice place to sit down in this crazy city with like cars going by too fast. And like even the pedestrians are walking too fast. And like, it's kind of nice to just like sit down here for like five minutes and just like breathe. And if you look at Times Square, what happens is that once you have these triangles, these little like streets that don't quite fit onto the grid, then you're like, well, maybe we should pedestrianize like these little side streets. And like, maybe actually just having cars plowing through here is not the best way to have a city that is creative and that's delightful. And so for me, it's really about creating those, those spaces and partnerships, I think should be helping the sales and marketing team do that. And when we were at, uh, when we were at Euromoney, one of the things that we created was the, the informal data group. And I think that most your question was about alignment. I think most companies, they try to start with sales and marketing alignment as the, the starting point. And we're here 15 years later, still talking about like, why are we not aligned? And I think the problem is that where you need to start is trust. Like if you're aligned on KPIs, but nobody trusts each other, it's not a great situation. And so at the informal data group, what we did was we brought in different teams to talk about how they were using data and to talk about the things that were working really well and the things that were not working at all. And so we brought in Carlos uh, Doherty, who's the Anticon conferences on October 21st. Yep. Um, superstar talking about like how he's making the marketing data work. 
because there was so much of it. Even at the time, we brought in the CRM team to talk about what they were doing. The dev team did a, a presentation about APIs. Uh, I did a presentation about an app that we had launched, which was profitable, but we had no users and was not sustainable. And basically trying to persuade people that you should not do what we just did. And starting from like the things that are not working. And if you build those connections, eventually you will find at least one API, one KPI that you can orient around yeah. and say like, okay, cool. I know these people in the marketing team. Like, I know they've got a bunch of KPIs that don't really make sense for me, but like, we've got this one where I think that we can work together. And if you trust each other, like, you can work on that one KPI and the overall relationship will get better. For me, it has to start with trust rather than alignment because yeah. otherwise, like, we're 15 years, like, it's crazy. Like, every time I hear, like, we don't have alignment, I just want to punch myself. <laughs> uh, sadly, sadly, that is still the case for many. I mean, that's, that's partly why we do this. But I think, I think that's really good. I think the data group was a perfect example of that. I mean, it was amazing, all, you know, all that, talking about the challenges we had and all the, the opportunities as well. You So you mentioned Anticon, obviously, if anyone's attending, it's a great event. I'll be there. I'm sure you'll be there. And yep. Scott and Carlos, like loads of billion people. So so that would be great. We we are nearing the end. I know we're definitely going to have to get you on again already because this has been a great episode. Also, thank you for sending us some really uh, interesting info this week about uh, YouTubes and podcasts. So for anyone looking, check out the, the HubSpot podcast. That, that was super interesting. But in terms of, you know, last question and leaving people with something we ask all our speakers uh, to come up with kind of one takeaway a tip for the audience that they can leave and think about it could be book a technique something to follow so uh what would be your killer tip uh for me well given that the audience is is uh, half sales and half marketing i would kind of split the difference and, and go with seth godin's tribes and for me it, it really changed my my career of, of how I think about things and, and how I, I take the, the practice of sales. Um, but even if you don't want to go pick it up, which I really encourage you to do, the one takeaway which helped me so, so much is that you don't have to change everyone's mind. And that at Euro Money, we had some people who were extremely stubborn. And Nick Evans, I don't think he listens to podcasts, but fantastic <laughs> editor, amazing writer, like just brilliant writer. And if you put him in a room with a red button and he could get rid of the internet by pressing that button and nobody <laughs> knew it was him, we would no longer have the internet. It would yeah. be gone. And I just was like driving myself crazy trying to change his mind about stuff. And eventually I was like, no, this is like Nick is not my tribe. Like I need to go find the other people who are interested in it. And so it was you, uh, it was Carlos and, and a bunch of other people who were really thinking about how the internet was changing. And I'm just like, when I look back on it, super proud of like what we were able to do in the discussions we were able to start. And it's not surprising for me that those people went on to work at, uh, I'm at HubSpot, but also at Amazon, um, tons of really strong groups like Carlos went on to found an uh, enormous MarTech business. Yeah, you have a top podcast in sales and marketing. Like it's not surprising. Like the people who are pushing those boundaries they're out there. You just have to go find them and don't try to like persuade everybody around you that, that they need to change because it, life is too short. That's, that's a lovely tip there, Russell. I yeah. really, really like that one. I, final, final question. Um, where can everyone find you if they wanted to get in touch, any further questions or um, start connecting? I'm doing an event the day before Anticon. 
Um, so it's October 20th, yeah. and that will be uh, helping European companies and UK companies uh, bridge the gap of selling into the US. And mm-hmm. so I'll be in, in there in the UK uh, live doing that. And it would be great. Look me up on LinkedIn, Russell Bradley Cook. Uh, and I also write a blog, uh, rbcnyc.substack on sales and marketing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Russell. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch and hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you, Rob, Sam, and shout out Charlotte. Take care. Take care. Love what you guys are doing. Bye.